You are listening to a weekend message from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you, so find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. Uh, we are finishing up the third summer here in Arkansas today, and I think tomorrow the real fall is coming. I'm excited about that, and we are in our fall series called James that uh, Nick Burton last week did a fantastic job starting this out. Let's give Nick a hand. I don't even, he ain't even in here, but I'm happy. I love it when Nick preaches, man. It's good. So uh, just... Uh, A refresher on the book of James here. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was an unbeliever, turned absolutely radical believer, and became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he saw a lot of stuff going on, and so he wrote the book of James. And really, if you go through it, and you can break it down into so many different sermons, because each of them is a little sermon in itself. And so... Um, I just, I think that it is a perfect book to go through in this season. So I'm going to read in James chapter 2, which is where we'll be today. I'm just going to read a big old block of scripture. We're going to pray and we're going to get into the message. Okay, so stick with me here. 13 verses. Here we go. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Forever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Verse 12, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Your word transforms and it renews. And I ask God that today it would continue to do just that. Lord, uh, as we hear your word, I pray that my heart is open to receive it. And whatever you say, if I'm any different than your word, it's me that needs to change. So I ask that uh, I would hear you with open ears and an open heart today. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. 
All right, everybody had a class in school that they hated more than all the other classes, okay? I just, it's part of going to school, it's part of growing up. So I wanna hear, just uh, shout out, what was your most hated class? Uh, <laughs> I hear a lot of math. Who are the math haters in here? Praise God. We are all together. We, I hated math too. Me too. Uh, I heard science. I heard algebra, right? I, I'm not a fan of any of these things. In fact, uh, I still wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat thinking I don't know how to do the quadratic formula. You know what I mean? Like, how am I ever going to make it through life without that? Oh my goodness. So I get it. I have a little bit of uh stress when I hear about math class and my kid has math homework and he's showing me stuff and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that looks right. And I have no idea what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? But I will tell you that math was not the most hated thing for me. The most hated thing for me was P.E. Okay. I hated P.E. and still do to this day, all right? But the reason that I hated P.E. wasn't because of all the things that we did in P.E. There were some things that I really liked. Y'all remember when we got that big um, parachute thing and everybody would flip it up and then you run underneath it and it would stay up and everybody was sitting down and this was like magic to me. It's still, remember as a kid, I get full of joy thinking about that old colorful umbrella thing that we all sat under. I love it. It wasn't all the things in PE that was the reason that I hated PE. The reason I hated PE was for one reason only, and that is dodgeball, okay? I hated dodgeball. You might not be able to tell this or not, but I was not the best at dodgeball, okay? I was a little bit larger target than some of the other kids, all right? And I think, what a crooked, evil game to play. Like, who invented dodgeball? It wasn't somebody like me, okay? You line all the kids up against the wall, and the slowest ones that can't get out of the way get hit in the head with a ball, all right? This is not the kind of game that I would like, right? Uh, so... It wasn't even dodgeball so much that I hated, but it was the picking of teams that I hated because I knew that somebody is going to be picked last, and his name is Brandon Cotton. All right, it's going to happen every single time we play dodgeball. I ain't making it on, until the final cut. It's not the, it's not the same for tug of war. I'll tell you, I, you know, my mama said I was big bone and I'd hold on to that rope, man. Nobody's moving me. I was the first round draft choice on tug of war. But dodgeball, I hated because I knew I wasn't going to get picked till at the very, very end. And I think uh, we learned this as kids growing up. Even if it's not intentional, it's unintentional. We learn how to look at somebody and make a decision about them. We know, we know how to look at somebody and sum them up. Oh, I see him. I don't want him on my team. I see her. I do want her on my team. And for some professions and some jobs, this is super important. This is something that if you are in law enforcement, sometimes you only have one or two seconds. You have to make a decision that is the decision between life and death. And you have to be trained to make the right one. And you have to look at a situation and be able to make a choice like that. But what happens here in the book of James is James is seeing this happen in the church. And I think anytime that you're seeing this happen around the things of God, it's not a good thing at all. Let's look at this. We'll start going through uh, James 2 just piece by piece. He starts out this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. 
It starts off as a family chat. Okay, brothers and sisters, listen, our glorious Lord Jesus, if you believe, then don't show favoritism. And then uh, later he comes in with a real gut punch to the people reading this letter. But he's saying this, like, it's incompatible for you to show favoritism and hold on to the faith and love of our Lord Jesus. These are two incompatible things. And anytime I see in scripture when he's talking to Christians and they say, don't do this, You need to make a note. Okay, I don't need to do this. And so he takes this and he gives us an example, I'm sure of something that he had seen in churches. Uh, He says in verse two, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Imagine that a guy comes out here at the church. He pulls up in a brand new Tesla electric car. He gets out. He is dressed as nice as you can be. He gets to the front door and Kirk says, oh, man, this guy's got a lot of money. He's looking good. I got to take him down to the front row. He gets the best seat in the place. He doesn't have to wait in line for coffee like everybody else. I'll bring you a cup of coffee. I'm going to treat you good. And then someone else comes in and they're driving a car like my old Toyota Camry that's leaking oil all over the place. The door, not, the door handle's broken off the thing and you have to get out through the passenger seat, right? We've all seen these cars. I drove one for a very, very long time. And that guy gets out and you could tell that life has not been kind to him and that he is struggling. And he doesn't look good like the other guy. His clothes aren't nice. In fact, they're dirty. And maybe he even smells uh, like alcohol because he had had a long night out the night before. And who knows what he's doing. And that person walks through the door and you see them and you say, oh, okay. Uh, Hey, yeah, we got to just go find yourself a seat. Uh, You can sit on the floor here, actually, crisscross applesauce and just hang out, right? Because we'll be with you. Don't, don't touch anything. Just stay there, all right? And we're saying, uh, when we look at someone like that, and we think, well, what we're doing for them is good enough. We got we to roll out the red carpet for the rich guy, but what we're doing for them is good enough. And James says, it's not good enough. That's not good enough. Verse four says this, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil thoughts. It's not just that this practice is frowned upon, like you shouldn't do that. He's saying, if you do this, then even your thoughts about it are what? They are evil. They're evil. This is a big thing. But when you're reading through scripture, you think, is it really that important? I mean, this particular situation, a rich man comes in, the rich man could probably pay a lot of the bills in the church. So we should treat him good. And the poor guy comes in and we let him come in, but we just kind of stuff him off to the side because it's not that important. This is the way that the whole world works, right? Everything in the world works this way. It's like how society runs. If you got more money, you get better things. That's just how it goes. Have you ever watched those shows where they're looking for real estate 
and it's like a couple and they they have uh, they're going out and they get to look at three different houses and you get to see all inside the houses and they're like what's your budget it's your very first home what's your budget and she's like our budget's only eight hundred thousand dollars and i'm thinking eight hundred thousand dollars i kid you not for my first home i promise you i googled this phrase can I buy a house with no money? Okay, I really did. Like, I want to know. I ain't got no money. But you see these people, they got a budget of $800,000. And you go into these homes, million-dollar homes, $2 million-dollar million homes, and the things that they have in there are so nice. It's so beautiful. This is just how the world works. You get more money, you get better stuff. You go to concert. Every concert's the same way. You can sit in the grass, like you can come back there and sit in the grass with me, it costs 50 bucks. If you want a front row seat, it's gonna cost $3,000. I mean, we're seeing the same guy, but it costs different. More money, you get better stuff. Every time you watch an NFL game, they go up and they show you the VIP box where they've rolled out the red carpet for the very best people. These people have money, they have affluence, they're important, and the more money you have, the better stuff you get. It just makes sense. That's how the world works. Money and fame open doors in this world for you that you can't open without it. I even went to a church that had, we, me and my buddy were on a road trip, and we went to a church, and they had a section down at the front of the church that was reserved for their biggest givers. And I didn't know this. Uh, and so we got there real early, and these were really nice, like, recliner-looking seats down at the front. And I told my buddy, it's like, hey, we lucked out. We're here super early. We're going to sit good. So we walked right down to the front, and they had one of those velvet ropes, and they had a man there with a clipboard. And he said, hi, how are you? And I was like, I'm doing good. I was just coming to sit down. He's like, what's your name? Brandon Cotton. He's like, are you on this, are you, uh, are you on this list of our top donors? And I was like. No, sir. He's like, oh, these are reserved um, for people that have made donations, but you can sit anywhere back there that you want in the nosebleeds at church. And so that's where I was, you know, that's what I did. But I was thinking when I went back there, I said, I know. Surely there's something, there is something in the Bible about this, I think, and you ain't on the right side of the story, my man, but I ain't saying nothing, right? And so here you go, you come to New Life Church and you say, well, New Life isn't like this at all. We don't have a VIP section. You can sit anywhere we want. In fact, the only VIPs at New Life are the people that get here early because you get to park in the nice front parking lot. You don't have to park back there in the, in the desert in the rocks. You know what I mean? Like if you get here early, you are a VIP. Come right in, pick a seat, find a parking spot. And you think, well, we don't do this. You know, we don't make a difference between people. And uh, we're not, this doesn't apply to us. And I think James here gives one example of showing favoritism. This is something that he had seen in the church. But I think he probably could have given more. And I think with the word of God, what often happens when we read God's word is that there's more than just what the words on the page say. And that often God's word shines a light into our hearts and always lights up matters of the heart. And I think James is pointing, yes, he is certainly pointing to this particular thing, that we shouldn't show favoritism to rich people or poor people, 
But he's also showing that there's a matter of the heart here that needs to be addressed. And that is the church in this time, when they see someone come in and they make a judgment based on nothing more than their appearance, based on nothing more than what they see. And it goes like this. I see you. I judge you. And then I treat you a certain way. It's like, I see you, I judge you, and then I treat you a certain way. I see you, I judge you, and I treat you a certain way. And this is an area where many of us may struggle without even being aware of it. This is a thing where I feel like I can see times in my life where I make a snap judgment on someone based on little to no information about them, based on no conversations with them. This is never more apparent than when I'm driving down Rogers Avenue, okay, uh, on a Saturday. One, I can say, uh, I feel like I could learn a lot about people just from their bumper stickers, you know? If somebody's got 75 bumper stickers on the back of their thing and I sit there and I read every one of them, by the time I got from red light to green light, I know everything I need to know about you, you know what I mean? And if you got an OU bumper sticker on your, your truck or your car, I ain't ever letting you get in my lane. I'm sorry, it just ain't gonna happen. We ain't close like that, all right? I come and I make these judgments and decisions about people, and I don't even realize that it affects the way that I treat them. But here's the problem. That is not what God does to us. Listen to this in 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Jesus said in John 7, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And so when you see someone come in that is rich, and you see someone come in that is poor, we're not to treat them different from one another. One doesn't get special treatment and one doesn't get less treatment. Do you know why? Because God looks beneath the exterior. He looks beneath the skin. He looks beneath the outward appearance. And he looks right at the heart. And for those that have never followed Jesus or those that aren't following Jesus, do you know what kind of heart he sees in all of them? A sinner that needs a savior. A heart that is broken that needs healing. And it doesn't matter if you look like you've got it together on the outside or it's very apparent that you don't have it together on the outside. When God looks at the heart, he sees the same. He sees people through that lens. And I'm thankful that God doesn't come out here and try to put together some kind of all-star team of the best and the brightest, that he doesn't see us based on our external appearances, right? That he often uses the weak and the sick and the broken and the hurting and the least of these and raises them up for something great. 
He's not putting together a dodgeball team where he's picking the best people first. In fact, we see Jesus regularly, the pattern of his life was him interacting with people that society had pushed aside and cast out. A few of these are when he cleanses the leper in Mark 1. Right? Let's just read this. Mark 1, verse 40 and 41. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Many of you have heard this before, but a leper was completely exiled from society. They couldn't be in amongst normal people. And no one had touched this leper in who knows how long because it was unlawful to do so. And in a moment, someone that was exiled came in and Jesus touched him and healed him and cleansed him. But everyone that would have been watching would have been shocked by it because he's not supposed to do that. They saw the leper with their eyes and said no and Jesus saw the leper with a broken heart and a broken body and said I will cleanse you Luke 7 there's a story here beautiful story and I don't have time to read the whole thing but I'm just going to read Luke 7 38 where listen to this one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table this is Jesus And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now the Pharisee who invited him He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And she came in, and what? Everyone that saw her said, no. And Jesus saw her, and not just the externals, not just what she had been, not just what she had done. As God sees past the outward appearance, and he looks where? into the heart. And he says, come. Over and over again, you'll see times where Jesus has dinner with a tax collector and all the people say, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? And you may look at these stories and say, well, Jesus was good. This is why Jesus was good because he was helping out these people that were uh, forgotten. He was a good, a good dude for doing that. That was good on Jesus. But don't forget that that's what he's done for you. That's what he's done for me. The sinner, the tax collector, the leper, the exile, all the people in the story that no one wanted to be around, our hearts before Christ were that, broken, sick. And Jesus said, come to me. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Christian love means treating others the way that God has treated me. And no matter what a person looks like, 
Romans 2.11 says that, it says, for God does not show favoritism. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter any. You know what matters is that God sees them as a heart that is broken, a sinner that needs a savior the same way that he saw us. And he says, come to me. It's important that you view people through this lens, the lens in which God views people. I used to wear fake glasses. Uh, and I did it on stage for a while because I thought it made me look smarter. And <laughs> they, were, they were real glasses. But they, they, sometimes they didn't even have like glass in the things, you know. You could stick your finger right into my eye. And uh, before I, I, I wore the fake glasses, I thought, you know, they have glasses at Walmart. They're only $5. They're reading glasses. And I'll just go get some of those, you know. I'll put those things on. Well, don't you know, those things hurt your eyes after a while if you don't need them, okay? So I was wearing those things, and I was always squinting and having headaches, and I was thinking, what's going on here? And somebody was like, well, you can't wear glasses if you don't need glasses. I was like, oh, okay. And I'm, I, I had headaches all day because I wanted to look $5 worth better. You know what I mean? Like, that's, <laughs> but it, it, after a while, if you wear the wrong kind of lens, you wear the wrong kind of thing, then it'll mess up your vision. And you take those glasses off, and everything is still blurry and messed up. And you, Why? Because you had the, the wrong lenses in there, and it messed up your stuff. The lens through which you see people has to be right. And if it's wrong, it's going to distort the way that you see people. It mean, it's going to mean that you look at them on the outward appearance, and you treat one better than the other because of something that you think about them based on nothing but their own appearance. God does not do that. You can see people through two different lenses. One of them is called judgment, and one of them is called mercy. James 2.12 says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. This is a sobering verse. All Christians should know it. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If we really believe that we're going to stand before God someday, Nick sent me this quote this week. I loved it. It says, if we really believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God is gracious and his word is true and one day he will judge us, then our conduct must reveal our convictions. What we say we believe must match up with how we act. And I'm telling you this because I don't think that telling you this in a moment can change everything about you. Like this whole idea that... Uh, you shouldn't treat people differently based on their appearances alone, based on the outward alone. Some of you may struggle with this and you may have for a long time, right? And what I'm telling you is not that you can immediately like rid yourself of this. But what I can tell you is anytime God reveals to you a piece of your heart that doesn't line up with his word, a piece of your heart where you're missing the mark, for the rest of your life, you should wrestle with that 
you shouldn't throw in the towel and just say, yeah, you know, I'm this way because I've always been this way and I hope someday God changed me. It's like, God, work in me. I don't want this. I know it's not your will. I know you want me to be different. Wrestle with it. Let me tell you a couple of things about New Life Church. One, I think, by and large, this place, you guys do a good job making it a welcoming place. And I'd say I love to see it. And I would encourage you to continue in that. New Life believes this. If you're taking notes, write this down. We believe in the value of a soul. And I teach this in every single Connect class. But every person was created by God in the image of God. And we believe that they have value because of that. It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter if they're black, they're white, they're brown. They are all created in, the, in God's image. And we believe that their soul has value. That's why we don't treat one different than the other when they walk through the doors. Everyone is on equal ground at the cross. Okay? We believe in the value of a soul. And when you see people walk through these doors, let me give you three things that you need to remember. And it's not just walking through these doors. It's not just coming into this church. But in your life, in your days, as you go through work and you encounter people, if you can see people through that lens of these people need Jesus, these people have, are hurting, they're broken, they need hope in Christ. If you can change the lens through which you see the world, you can do, remember these three things. I'm going to give you three. These are universal. It don't matter if you're here or if you're in the jungle of Peru. These three things are true. Number one is this. Everyone has a past. Everyone has a past. It's especially true when they come through these doors and people, you may know someone from a long time ago and you think, man, I remember them back in high school. Dear God, I can't believe they're in church right now. It's unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> Look, every single person that walks through these doors has a past. You do too. So do I. Nick posted a picture a couple of weeks ago of me, uh, a mugshot, when I got arrested. That's a long story. I'll tell it sometime if you don't know it. But I got arrested for a parking ticket. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to go into it. But when he posted that on Facebook, thanks, Nick, wherever you are. Um, one of my favorite comments. I just loved it. It said, well, I'm glad to know our pastors have a past. <laughs> I just love that so much. Thank you. My parking ticket passed. Every one of us have a past, okay? And if you're a believer in here, you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, then you should be ultra aware that your past is forgiven and you don't have to, you don't have to carry that anymore. That there was a you before you met Christ. And any person that walks into this church, we are aware that they have a past. But for those of us in Christ, we remember this, Hebrews 8, 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And Jesus, our past is erased. 
Everyone has a past. Number two, everyone has a present, like who they are right now. And who they are right now might not be who they've always been. It may be better, but it may be worse. I, when I lived in New York City, we would do homeless uh, ministry. And we would go out, and there were these bridges and just endless homeless camps. And there was one night that we went down and we took spaghetti and meatballs and just would feed these people. And there was a man, I'll never forget this, this image is like seared into my memory forever. There was a man there who was in a lawn chair under the bridge with a needle in his arm and he was just out of it. But in front of him on the ground, fanned out, were all these pictures, all these photos. And we went and, and I tried to talk to him, but he was not responding. You know, he was just out of it. And I looked down at these pictures and you could barely see it, but you could tell these were photos of him. And he didn't look much like those photos anymore. But in those pictures, he had a family. He had a wife, he had kids, he was dressed in a suit. He was a, a Wall Street banker. And he had a dog and a house and his life looked like the life that anybody would wanna have. And then you look at his present and he's there with nothing but a needle in his arm. And sometimes when people walk through these doors, you need to know you're seeing them at their worst. Maybe you're seeing them at their best, but a lot of times you're seeing them when they've hit rock bottom and they say, I don't know where else to go. I just need something. And they come here searching. And you need to remember, maybe who they are today isn't who they were five years ago. For us, for Christians and believers, I'll tell you what our, our present is right now. It's this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Is that we have forgiveness and in Christ, we can come boldly into his presence. Like That's our present, but it's not that for everyone that walks through. Everyone has a past. Everyone has a present. And everyone has a future. And if you look at somebody as they are today, and they may be at their very worst, you need to remember this that God can take a hopeless situation and turn it around. And you don't know what's in their future. You don't know what in the hands of God their life can be. But you know this, that if they meet Jesus, if they meet him, that in Jesus we all have a hope 
and a future that is greater than our past, that's much better than our present. And that can be true for anyone. So when people come in here, every which way, I don't care. As your pastor, I'm gonna honestly tell you, I do not care what they look like. My hope is that our church would be incredibly diverse in every way. As diverse as our city is, there is no type of person that we want to come to our church other than those that are broken and hurting and need Jesus. We want people with a past who need Jesus in their present for hope for the future. That's why we say these words when people come here. Welcome home. Welcome home. And we mean it. It means something. It's not just a slogan or a saying. It's not just a sign we have printed up, but it means what it means. This is not the church for everybody, okay? Some people come here, they don't like me and how I speak, and that's fine, I don't care. And some people don't like the music, and some people don't like lights, and some people don't like the coffee. And there are people that don't like all sorts of things about our church, and that's fine. I say this all the time, and I mean it. There are so many good churches in Fort Smith. We can help you find another church. We really can. We want you to be connected and plugged in. If this isn't the church for you, then that's okay. We'll help you get plugged into another one. But the reason it's not a church for you is never going to be because you aren't welcome here. We open our doors wide. And if you are a drug addict, if you are divorced, if you have a record and a rap sheet, if you are growing up in church and you've all your life served Jesus, if you are just a good old person and has been around town, if you work at Walmart, I don't care what your past is. I care that you know that we've all been sinners that need a Savior. And we still do to this day. You come in this place right now and you have a past and your present is not looking too good and you need hope for the future. It's in Jesus. This can be a place for you. Welcome home.